pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word that does not change. We thank you, Lord, that um, it's through your word that we are sanctified in the truth. It's through your word that we gain deeper understanding and knowledge of who you are, that we might walk in your ways. And Lord, we believe that we are incapable in and of ourselves to keep your word. We need your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit to not only keep it, but also to understand it. And so we ask, Lord, that as we look to your word now, that by your spirit, you would help us understand. And you would also, Lord, by your spirit, cause us to walk in your truth, that we might glorify the name of Christ through our lives, whatever may come our way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Well, we are officially looking at the last beatitude, and um, we've come uh, full circle in a sense, um, because the beatitudes began with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and they end with, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we've noted also that um, over and over again, I've, I've tried to make this very clear, that the beatitudes aren't how one becomes a Christian. Rather, they're meant to convey how the true Christian is supposed to live. And we've seen that the, the first seven Beatitudes are identity markers. The first seven reveal how a citizen of Christ's kingdom is to live in this world. And I would also argue that it's true of this last Beatitude of, as well. Being persecuted, slandered, reviled, is a normal mark of true Christian discipleship just as being peaceful or being a peacemaker or being merciful is. In other words, scars for Christ reveal that you belong to Christ. As Stott says, persecution is a token of genuineness, a certificate of Christian authenticity. So Jesus says here in verses 10 to 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't think it's coincidence um, that Jesus ends the Beatitudes with this specific one and that this specific one follows that of peacemakers. To live according to the Beatitudes is so contrary to the way the world operates that it shouldn't surprise us that hostility and persecution is the response of many. Because a life that reflects the Beatitudes confronts the world. Also, despite being peacemakers, striving for peace, the reality is, there are people who don't want peace, especially with those who bear Christ's name. Now, Jesus makes clear, of course, in verse 10, that, that the persecuted are recipients of God's favor, his blessing, right? His stamp of approval is upon them. We've seen this in every beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
But he also tells us here the reason for the persecution, in, in which I just said. The reason in verse 10 is what? It's for righteousness' sake. That is, these individuals are persecuted because they're devoted, committed to the way of righteousness. Their lives reflect that of the Beatitudes. Their, their lives reflect the moral character of God. Their presence, their, their way of life stands in opposition. It stands in opposition to the wicked. Now, there's two things we need to see here in regards to this reason, right? That, that, that we are persecuted for righteousness sake. The first is this. This should make us cautious as Christians. Not cautious in regards to suffering, but, but cautious that we're suffering for the right reasons. It's possible to experience hostility as a Christian, not because of righteousness, but because of self-righteousness. I've seen Christians dismiss their behavior while interacting with unbelievers by suggesting that the reason the person is offended is because the gospel is offensive. And, and that might be so. We, we know the gospel offends. But it's important to ask, is that person offended because of the gospel or because I'm actually offensive? There's a reason why Peter writes uh, 1 Peter 3, 13 to 16, when he says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, that's coming right out of Matthew 5, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Then he says this, Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In other words, when you do defend the hope that you have in Christ, do it with gentleness and respect, with a good conscience, so that if they slander you, they have no reason and therefore they ought to be ashamed. You see, we ought to give the world no reason to slander or persecute us except for our righteousness and our faithfulness to Jesus. Second thing we need to see about this is this. Jesus assumes in this statement that there are people who hate righteousness. They're hostile toward it. They're not hostile toward you or your personality. They're hostile towards righteousness. They persecute you because of the righteousness that you subscribe to and seek to live by. The scriptures make clear that there are enemies of the cross of Christ, people who are hostile toward God and his holy, righteous decrees. In John chapter 3, 19 to 20, Jesus says this, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now I want you to see this. Jesus doesn't say people are victims of the darkness. He says they're lovers of the darkness. And they love the darkness rather than the light, light because their works were evil. And then he says this, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. They are lovers of darkness and they hate the light. 
See, we shouldn't be surprised when people are hostile towards us for living a righteous life according to God's ways because they hate the light. They hate the righteous ways of God. The world stands in hostility to the righteousness of God. And when we reflect that righteousness, the world will stand in hostility towards us as well. But look at the blessing Jesus gives to those who are persecuted for righteousness. He says, there's the kingdom of heaven. And we've seen this already, and I, so I'm not going to unpack all that. But the Beatitudes begin with this blessing, and they end with this blessing. To the persecuted belongs the kingdom of heaven both now and in the future. So in verse 10, Jesus gives this general principle about his disciples and persecution. And then in verse 11 to 12, he gives further teaching about verse 10. And really, he, he's saying the same thing, but he gives, in, in one sense, a little more detail. Also, notice that he moves from the third person to the second person. Right? The Beatitudes are all in the third person. Right? Blessed are those, blessed are they. But now in verse 11, he says, blessed are you. He's now speaking directly to his disciples. And what is it that he says? Well, in verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and say all other kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So Jesus here is giving further detail in one sense to what persecution looks like. He adds reviling and uttering all kinds of evil against you. And notice that he adds the word falsely. Falsely. That is, they will utter all kinds of evil against you that is simply not true of you. See, as Christians, we need to ask ourselves, are we prepared to have our names and our reputations smeared with falsehood? To have our names drugged, dragged through the mud, so to speak. Let's just take this example. So we know that this, this new bill, C6, that is trying to be passed, um, if it's passed, there's, there's real possibility that pastors and Christian counselors could be fined and even imprisoned for up to two years. Now, let's say I get arrested for preaching what the Bible says about sexuality, which is about what this bill is about. And let's say the media outlets get hold of what's happened. What do you think the headlines will be? Do you think it will be, loving Toronto pastor has been imprisoned for faithfully preaching God's word? Most likely not. It's probably going to be more like narrow-minded, intolerant, bigoted evangelical pastor has been imprisoned for saying homosexual practice is sinful. And the question we need to ask is this. Are we ready for that? Are you ready to have your name smeared? Lies told about you in order to be faithful to the truth of God's word. See, most of us have faced small forms of persecution through personal situations, right? Whether it's friends, classmates, co-workers, family members, even, even strangers that we might have evangelized at one point in time. But, but we haven't really faced institutional persecution or, or legal persecution. But that's beginning to change. And I believe it's going to change even more. And it's going to impact us in ways we've never experienced before. Persecution grows because, as Stott says, there is, there is a growing clash between two irreconcilable 
value systems. There are times in which a culture's values or morality reflect to a greater degree the kingdom of God. And when this happens, Christians will, will rarely face persecution, at least on the institutional legal side of things. And this is, this is in many ways Canada's history, right? Historically, though not perfectly, Canada held to Christian values. You, you could say Canada was under the flag of, of Christendom. If you walk through the Parliament building, you'll be amazed at the amount of scripture engraved in the Parliament building. The Peace Tower has engraved on it Psalm 30, 72, 8, and, and so does Canada's coat of arms. And what is Psalm 72, 8? May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. But this is changing in Canada. Our nation no longer values the morality, the beliefs of the kingdom of God. They no longer care if God's dominion is from sea to sea. And it's not just that they don't value it, but our society is growing in opposition to our Christian heritage. Our secular values, beliefs, are irreconcilable with the values and beliefs of Christ's kingdom. And we are beginning to see this play out in our society. And here's the thing that's so important. The increasing hostility of our society toward traditional Christian morality or, or Christianity as a whole, it shouldn't surprise us. We shouldn't be surprised if anti-Christian hostility grows. We should be surprised when it doesn't. And I think as Christians in Canada, we're far more surprised than we ought to be. Remember Jesus' words in John 15, 18 to 20? If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We shouldn't be surprised if hostility grows. We shouldn't be surprised if opposition increases. We shouldn't be surprised if persecution is growing. There have been times in history when Christians have faced horrible persecution, torture, murder, etc. You think of Christians in, in under Rome, early church. You think of Christians in communist, communist Russia. Um, you think of Christians in China. But I don't think that's what's going to happen in Canada. The persecution, I could be wrong, but the persecution in Canada will be different. But nevertheless, it still will be costly and difficult. In many ways, what we're seeing happen in Canada and will continue to see is Christians being pushed out of the public square. It's going to be hard for Christians to serve in specific areas like politics, law, education, medicine. And the question we need to ask is this, are we going to count the cost? In the book, Live Not By Lies by Rod Dreher about Christian resistance in communist Russia, many of the Christians suffered by torture and imprisonment, but also many of them suffered because they were pushed to the outskirts of society. 
If you wanted to go to a certain university or pursue a specific career, you'd have to swear allegiance to the, to the communist government. And many Christians did this, and they compromised in order to achieve their worldly pursuits. But there were also many Christians who refused to compromise. And because of this, they lost their high-paying jobs. They weren't able to get the education they wanted or the career they wanted. Many of them went from being doctors and lawyers to, to janitors. And I don't think I'm being an alarmist when I say this, but there's already beginning fruits of this in our nation. And though, well, your parent, your kids are older now, but parents, are you, this is for an application for parents, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. And parents, are you prepared to be okay with your kids possibly not getting into the schools you want or the career you want? Are you prepared to help your kids understand what it means to count the costs in this regard? Are you prepared to possibly lose your job or your career over whether or not you're going to sign something that is contrary to your Christian faith? See, I think a great period of church history that will help us in our current day is the third century. Christians weren't really physically harmed or killed for their faiths. For, for their faith, but they were ostracized. False accusations were often made against them. They were, they were called atheists because they didn't worship an idol. They were called cannibals because they ate the body and drank the blood of Jesus. They were unable to participate in, in much of society because of their refusal to swear allegiance to the emperor and the Greek and, and pagan gods. They were viewed with suspicion. And this is similar to what I think lays before us as Christians. And yet Jesus says, blessed are you, favored are you, happy are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Are we ready to count the cost? In verse 10, the reason for the persecution is what? In verse 10. It's righteousness, right? What's the reason for persecution in verse 11? What does Jesus say? People who say false things. About, yeah, but on, what's the on reason? Pardon? On my account. On my account, yeah, on my account. So the reason the world will persecute you in verse 11 is because of your loyalty and allegiance to Jesus. Which means the righteousness of verse 10 is a righteousness that resembles Jesus himself. It's a Christ-like righteousness. They persecute you for your righteousness because your righteousness points them to the righteous one. And the world hates the righteous one for he's the one they will give an account to. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to be a true citizen of his kingdom. And we cannot dare claim to worship the king with scars when we ourselves have no scars. So Jesus tells us those who are persecuted for righteousness sake on and on his account are blessed. They are recipients of God's favor. And then in verse 12, he tells us how a disciple of his ought to respond when faced with persecution. And what is it? What's the exhortation? How ought we to respond when faced with persecution? What does he say? Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. 
the Christian response to persecution isn't bitterness, isn't anger, isn't venting, isn't self-pity, isn't hatred towards the persecutor. The Christian response is that of rejoicing and gladness. The Christian response should resemble that of the apostles in Acts 5, 40 to 41, where, where they were, uh, where, where we're, we're told, and when they had called in the apostles, that is the religious, religious leaders, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were counted worthy to suffer for Christ's name. That's why they rejoiced. The honor of bearing the cross and being found worthy to suffer for Christ. Will we be found worthy? Now in verse 12, we're called to rejoice and be glad. But what's the reason for why we ought to rejoice? Well, he says, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad because the unfathomable blessed, eternal blessings in heaven will be yours. That's the logic here. Rejoice and be glad because there are eternal blessings in heaven that will be yours. And they will far outweigh any kind of persecution you will, you will receive here in this life. 1 Peter 4, 12-14 says something very similar. Peter says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. As, Lens as Lensky states, whatever the world may take is more than made up by the heavenly possession which no one can take from them. To have Christ and all that Christ bestows by his kingdom and rule is more than life, liberty, or earthly goods. Now I want you to see this is not a merits-based reward. Jesus isn't saying that if you suffer more, you'll get greater reward. No, no, the reward is of grace. No matter what persecution we face, Jesus will grant us eternal blessings that far outweigh our present sufferings because of his abundant grace. Not only that, he tells us to rejoice and be glad because you share in a noble succession of those who have suffered before you for the name of Christ. For that's why I think he says, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That is, we, we share in this noble succession of, of godly men and women who have suffered for Christ before us. We get to participate in what they also participated in. They participated in the sufferings of Christ, and so we have the privilege and honor as well. See, this is our response to opposition and persecution. Not complaining, but rejoicing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was familiar with persecution under Nazi Germany, he was arrested and then shot to death in, in Flossenburg concentration camp just days before it was liberated. And really what, what happened to him 
was the fulfillment of what he had written about in his book, Discipleship. He said these words, which you know as the cost of discipleship, but he said these words. Suffering, then, is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. Following Christ means suffering because we have to suffer. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. Only the eyes of faith and the one who has the Spirit of God could ever grasp such a reality. Kirchmary, um, who was imprisoned and tortured for years by the communist uh, Russian government, he penned these words and he said this, There could not be anything more beautiful than to lay down my life Brothers and sisters, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we acknowledge before you that living in Canada, we have experienced much comfort, freedom, and security. And Lord, as our society turns in many ways more hostile towards our Christian faith it is easy for us to complain and to be frustrated Lord I pray that that would not be our response our pray that I pray Lord that we would have the response of the apostles that we might be counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of Christ's name Lord give us a commitment to you Help us to truly count the, the cost. Help us not merely to admire your truth, but to be followers of Jesus. Help us to take up our cross and follow him. We pray all of this in Christ's name.